Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the first Ministry Watch podcast of the new year. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, news about the sex abuse case and bankruptcy involving the Boy Scouts of America. Survivors appear to have rejected the settlement plan, and clergy burnout has become more acute in this era of COVID. But some pastors say sabbaticals are helping them and their families cope. We begin today with a story that we've been following here at Ministry Watch for more than two years, and that's the story of a ministry called Preemptive Love. Yeah, Preemptive Love is a nonprofit that has long been championed by Christian influencers and celebrities for its work in Iraq and elsewhere. Uh, it plans, though, to cut ties with its founders after former employees complained of an abusive work environment and misleading fundraising practices there. Jeremy and Jessica Courtney are former missionaries who founded the Preemptive Love Coalition in 2007. They were placed on leave in the summer of 2021 to allow the charity's board of directors to address concerns raised in a letter from more than two dozen former employees. Yeah, after reviewing the preliminary findings of an investigation that was done by Guidepost Solutions, a consulting firm hired to review the former employees' allegations, the board resolved that the Courtney's would not return from their leave of absence and no longer have a role within the organization. In a statement posted on the Preemptive Love website, the board promised to work to improve the organization's culture and to improve its transparency. That sounds like a good outcome. Well, it is a good outcome. I mean, anytime there's greater transparency, we like that here at Ministry Watch. But I think there's also an important point to make. These changes would likely have not come about without aggressive Christian journalism. Uh, the problems at Preemptive Love Coalition had been festering for years but employees and the board had had little success in reining in the behavior of the Courtney's. Uh, Mindy Bells broke this story originally in World Magazine a couple of years ago. Preemptive Love, uh, Love immediately punched back against World Magazine's account by accusing World's story of being inaccurate. Now, we fact-checked Mindy's story and found that it was completely accurate, and that it was, in fact, preemptive love that was trying to hide the truth by their rapid rebuttal of world story and an obfuscation of the facts there. That was two years ago, and other stories were written by us here at Ministry Watch and others, especially I want to do a, a shout out here to Bob Smetanya at uh, Religion News Service. Bob's stories were stories that we also published here at Ministry Watch. So it took a long time for the board to finally do the right thing. Would they have done the right thing if this journalistic pressure had not been placed? Well, it's a good question. And of course, we can never know the answer to that question for sure. And I'll be the first to admit that my answer 
is a bit self-serving because I think we were a part of that journalistic pressure. But I think the answer is no. I think that responsible Christian journalism played an absolutely key role in this leadership change. Our next story involves a Christian ministry leader who has often been transparent about her marital problems, and she assumes this position again. Yeah, Proverbs 31 Ministries founder and president Lisa Turkhurst announced on social media January 1st that she and her husband Art Turkhurst were getting divorced. She said this in an Instagram post, I now believe that the wisest and hardest choice I can make is to stop fighting to save my marriage of 29 years and instead accept reality. Turkhurst is the best-selling author of 22 books, including 2018's book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Finding Unexpected Strength When Disappointments Leave You Shattered, in which she detailed the aftermath of first discovering her husband's infidelity. Yeah, that book ended hopefully with what appeared to be a reconciliation between the two. But Turker said in her recent Instagram post that although she and her husband had renewed their wedding vows three years ago, the marriage could not survive what she called the devastation of what consistent deception of one spouse does to another. She said that she would keep the details of her husband's continued infidelity private to protect her family. The couple has five adult children and several grandchildren, but that there was a clear biblical justification for my decision to end this marriage, she said. Proverbs 31 Ministries offers a variety of online resources for Christian women, including Bible studies, podcasts, daily devotions, and an app. Yeah, Lisa Turker started that ministry in 1992 as a monthly newsletter and grew it into a ministry that now reaches a half a million subscribers with its women's devotions. She's also been a public speaker and has made appearances on Focus on the Family, the 700 Club, and even Oprah. Our next story is an important update on the Boy Scouts story that broke just a few days ago. Yeah, a preliminary voting report in the Boy Scouts of America bankruptcy case indicates that the group's reorganization plan has failed to win the desired support from tens of thousands of men who say that they were sexually abused as children. The report, which was filed late Tuesday night, shows that 73% of the 53,888 valid ballots that were cast uh, were in support of the plan. That sounds like a lot, but the plan needs 75% in order for the bankruptcy to be approved. A final accounting of the vote is due by January the 17th, but these initial results could spell trouble for the Boy Scouts of America's goal of compensating survivors for decades of child sexual abuse by scoutmasters and others while being able to also emerge from bankruptcy on a sound financial footing and continue the scouting movement. Now, what happens if the plan is not approved? Well, there are a number of possible outcomes, and I'm certainly not going to predict which one will come to pass, but quickly, I'll just run through them. One is that the Boy Scouts would need to come up with more money, and that that could mean the liquidation of even more assets, 
that the the scouts own uh, more than it is currently sold because it's already sold off a lot. And another possible way to raise that money would be for churches, especially denominations that hosted Boy Scout units. Those are called chartering partners to put in more money. The Mormon Church has already put in about $250 million. The United Methodist Church just within the last couple of weeks announced that it was going to put in $30 million in the settlement fund. But other church bodies have not put money in yet, and this vote might put pressure on them to come up with funds. Is there any possibility that the vote tallies could change between now and January 17th? Well, that's possible. In fact, that's why this one of the reasons this preliminary report came out when the final certification is not due for a couple of weeks. They, they kind of want to know where they are and, and maybe what needs to be done. The plan, as I said, got about 73% of the vote. So it's just a couple of percentage points shy of what's needed. The Boy Scouts said in a statement that they were actively engaging key parties in hopes of reaching additional agreements. Now, again, that could mean, it's not exactly sure what, what it means for sure, but that could mean that they are talking to some of these other church bodies in a, to try to get them to put more money into the pot. Um, so one thing is for sure, uh, the Boy Scouts that will be left after this settlement is all said and done is not going to be anything like what we knew the Boy Scouts of America to be during most of the 20th century. I think by any assessment that this is the end of an era uh, for an organization that once had a really important impact in American life. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, the story of how some pastors are fighting clergy burnout with sabbaticals. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, a story of how some churches are fighting clergy burnout. Yeah, clergy burnout was a problem before COVID, of course, but it has become an even greater problem in the last couple of years. An October poll by the Barna Group found that 38% of U.S. ministers had considered leaving full-time ministry just within the past year. That's a 9% increase over a similar poll uh, done in January of 2021, just a few months earlier. A similar study released by the Hartford Institute for Religion Research found that 67% of ministers across 38 Christian groups thought that this year was the most difficult year in their ministry, and that 37% had considered leaving the ministry at least once during the past year. 
Churches with significant financial resources can give their pastors extended vacations or full-blown sabbaticals to let them take a break from ministry and refresh. But what about the small churches? Yeah, it's a great question, especially since the majority of churches in America are small churches. Well over half of all the churches in America have less than 100 members. Uh, But the answer is that sabbaticals are also working for small churches, too. Though guidelines for sabbaticals and actually how to pull them off in a small church is sometimes not that easy to figure out. The Episcopal Church does provide guidelines for sabbaticals, but most other denominations do not. The Lilly Endowment provides funds for churches uh, to allow their pastors to take sabbaticals. Uh, Some of the funds go to the church to pay for things like supply preachers and additional expenses, maybe temporary staff associated with the pastor's departure, and some of the funds go to the pastor himself uh, to pay for travel and study. And I should say, Natasha, that I was actually involved in my own local church in getting one of these Lilly Endowments, and uh, they can be really fantastic resources for small churches. Our next story involves a once massive ministry that is now a fraction the size it once was. Yeah, with a focus on discipleship training, youth development, and home education, uh, the Institute in Basic Life Principles uh, spent the last 60 years building an international following through seminars, homeschool curricula, training centers, a prison ministry, and other educational programs. But in recent years, this non-denominational ministry founded by Bill Gothard has fallen from its once influential and well-connected spot in American culture, or at least in American evangelicalism, uh, to a spot that is, well, let's just say not quite so influential. At the core of this shift are numerous accounts of sexual abuse and harassment dating back decades, implicating IBLP's founder and former president, Bill Gothard. Although Gothard resigned years ago and a related lawsuit was dismissed over the statutes of limitations, little has been scrutinized about his organization's financial activities. Yeah, that's why Ministry Watch decided to take a closer look at the Institute for Basic Life Principles Form 990s. These are the Internal Revenue Services uh, Annual Reporting Obligation for Tax-Exempt Organizations. We looked at the um, 990s from 2001 to 2018. A few items stood out as red flags, particularly around revenue and spending patterns. Uh, Prior to publication, Ministry Watch made several attempts to reach Uh, the Institute for Basic Life Principles for an interview to discuss the financials, but the organization did not respond. What did you find out? Well, the first thing that you notice is that um, in 2019, revenue was about $4.5 million. Now, that's not nothing, but consider that in 2015, it had $7.4 million, which is obviously a lot more. But get this, in 2001, 20 years ago, the organization took in more than $40 million. So it is literally about a tenth the size that it was 20 years ago. The other key data point is this. The ministry has lost tens of millions of dollars over the past decade. Uh, It lost money, Uh, every year from 2011 to 2017. In fact, total losses during those years exceeded $27 million. Wow, that's not good. 
No, it's not. And our reporter, Shannon Cuthrell, learned a lot more in her analysis. And if you're interested in digging in yourself, and I know a lot of our listeners, uh, Natasha, probably are, because like me, they may have gone through a Bill Gothard seminar, you know, back in the day. If you want to learn more, you can go to ministrywatch.com. The story is on the front page, or you can just type Gothard into the search engine, and you can find other stories that we have done about his organization in the past. Warren, let's look at one more story before we go to a break. It's the story of a continued rise of the nuns. Yeah, the nuns uh, are not these Catholic women who wear these black suits called habits. Rather, the nuns are people who check none when asked about religious affiliation on surveys. This has been a story really ongoing for the past few years, as each new survey seems to confirm this trend. And now we have a new study out from Pew. What does it say? Well, it says that the share of people affiliated with an organized religious group continues to drop. That's according to a Pew Research Center study. Self-identifying Christians make up about 63% of the adult population. That's a lot, but it's about 12 percentage points lower than 2011 and 6 percentage points lower than just five years ago. About 30% of those surveyed in 2021 identified themselves as nuns, then that means that they're either atheists, agnostics, or have no particular religious affiliation. Now, get this, Natasha, the Protestant share of the population, 40%, has declined about four percentage points over the last five years and dropped 10 percentage points over the last 10 years, while Catholicism has held pretty steady, which is kind of interesting to think about considering a lot of the negative press related to the clergy sex abuse scandal, but it's still about 21% of the population. About 31% of those polled said that they attend religious services at least once or twice a month. 25% said that they attend every week. Both of those numbers are down significantly from historical levels. Warren, we're going to take another quick break. When we return our weekly lightning round of ministry news, I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Now, we like to use this last little segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What do you have up first? Well, the corporate umbrella under which Three of the nonprofit sector's most recognized tech names joined forces in August of 2021, but it doesn't yet have a public branded name. 
but that wasn't a barrier to them making yet another acquisition. The venture that joined every action, Social Solutions and Cyber Giants, is adding the fundraising platform Network for Good to its little constellation of organizations. Terms of the deal were not disclosed. Neither, by the way, was a new name for the combined entity, but industry experts estimated that the addition would be worth about $300 million, and it put a combined value of now the four organizations combined to be about $3 billion. I mentioned this even though most of the clients uh, for these four organizations are not Christian ministries up until now. A lot of organizations do use Network for Good, including Ministry Watch, as part of their giving platform. And while we're talking about fundraising, we have new data about 2021's giving. What's the headline? Yeah, the headline is that fundraising through the first three quarters of 2021 kept up with 2020 levels. And trends for donors, dollars, and retention have largely remained stable, um, at least compared to to the second quarter of 2021. That's according to a new report released by the Fundraising Effective Projects 2021 third quarter fundraising report. Well, that sounds good. So what's beneath this headline? Well, yeah, there's more to the story. Uh, Though giving during 2021 is mostly keeping up with 2020 levels, there's been a decrease in the number of donors. The estimated number of donors has fallen almost 2%, about 1.7% through the third quarter of 2021, compared to the same period in 2020. Uh, Total donations increased about 1.4%, so that essentially means more money, but coming from fewer people. Now, Warren, since we're talking about money and since we're reaching the end of this program, and also because we believe in transparency here at Ministry Watch, this might be a good time to ask how uh, Ministry Watch did financially in 2021. Well, you're right. Uh, We should talk about that in part because I want to thank everyone who gave to us. We had a year-end goal, and that means a goal for November and December combined of $68,000. And by God's grace and the help of many listeners right now, we exceeded that goal. We're still getting checks in the mail that were postmarked December 31st. But so far, we can say that we've raised about $71,000, a few thousand dollars more than our goal for the months of November and December combined. We had about 500 donors for that two-month period, and we had about 1,500 donors for the entire year. Now, our total budget here at Ministry Watch is about $400,000, so we are not a big ministry, especially compared to those that we report on every day, but we like to hold ourselves up to the same standards of transparency and accountability as the big ministries that we have, for example, in our Ministry Ministry Watch 1000 database. That's why if you go there, you can find a profile of Ministry Watch, which uh, I actively encourage you to look at it. Uh, We've got a lot more financial information about Ministry Watch, even though by size, we don't exactly qualify to be on that list. 
but once again, please go and check it out. Uh, not just our profile, but the profile of your favorite ministries. In addition to Ministry Watch, I hope we're one of your favorites, but I'm sure you've got others. We think a lot of other journalistic organizations do great work, but our Ministry Watch 1000 database is what makes us unique, truly different from other journalistic organizations. Finally, Warren, we've published a lot of lists since we last spoke, and I know that you love lists, So, and the fact that Ministry Watch has lists is not exactly news. I know that you and Christina Darnell went over the top 10 stories of the year in an extra episode last week, but briefly, what are some of the um, other lists that came out recently? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had a number of them, including the top 10 stories for the month of December. You mentioned the top stories of 2021 that Christina and I did on a separate podcast, so you can listen to that there. Uh, We also did a list of ministry leaders and pastors who died during 2021, a list of obituaries, uh, which I don't know about you, but I find that list fascinating every year. We've done it for the last couple of years, and and it's uh, one of those... um, stories that I look forward to preparing, and I know a lot of people actually look forward to reading. Um, And the list that I've sort of saved till last, because it's in some ways the most significant, every January for the last couple of years, we have published a list of of 100 highly compensated ministry executives. We hesitate to call that list the highest paid ministry executives, because we know there are some people that make more money than uh, others that are on that list, but we can't get to that information. So we just call it Highly Compensated Ministry Executives 2022. Uh, It's a pretty interesting list. The number one person on that list is David Cirillo of Inspiration Ministries. He made more than $7 million uh, last year. And uh, the average income for the 100 executives on that list is over $800,000, which is significantly higher than the year before. So I encourage you to go to ministrywatch.com. You can check out all those lists that are right on the front page. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Guttard, Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Stike, Shannon Cuthrill, Bob Smetanya, Paul Colery, Audrey Jackson, and Randall Chase. Special thanks to the Christian Chronicle and the nonprofit Times for contributing materials on this week's podcast. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And I'm Warren Smith ringing in the new year right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.